True Multifamily is an On Air Brands production and a proud member of the On Air Brands Network. Hey there, entrepreneurs. Eric Cabral here, founder of On Air Brands and host of the Entrepreneur Circle and Capital Hacking. I wanted to share something truly unique with you that we've created called Pod Max, which is an amazing opportunity to connect you with major podcasts to help you share your fascinating stories with their communities. This unique invitation-only event includes interviews with you on top-rated business podcasts all in one day. It also provides a unique networking opportunity with high-performance guests and thought leaders who are authors, coaches and consultants, investors, speakers, executives, you name it. These are the type of people that you need to be around. We also provide industry expert keynotes to hit our stage to share insights on podcasting, investing, marketing to help you take things to the next level. And the cool thing about Podmax is that it has a multimedia agency engine behind it with on-air brands to provide social media promotions before and after the event to share your brand new shows with your network. So hit the apply now button at podmax.co and I hope to see you at the next Podmax event. This is True Multifamily, the show where we dive in on what really happens after closing a multifamily property. We're going to expose the role of asset manager. That's a person who has a responsibility of seeing the vision, executing the plan, and managing people, budgets, and timelines, all to deliver returns for our investors. These are the real struggles, the real victories, and the real stories of asset management. Welcome back to another episode of True Multifamily. I'm here with Pollock Shah, the owner and founder of open spaces. Pollock, we're here at Pod Max. This is a fun day, right? Yeah, it's great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, having a lot of fun. Pod Max is a really awesome uh, event put on uh, by my company, On Air Brands. And we um, are just have a ton of people getting interviewed, being interviewed, and uh, just having a really good time talking real estate, sharing stories, networking. Um, so if you are an entrepreneur or you have a podcast, uh, look, us, look us up. Check out uh, podmax.co. We um, are here and doing some really fun stuff. So that aside, um, Pollock, you, um, you know, I was telling you before the show started, we're all about um, talking about what happens after closing on a property because there's, there's um, not enough information, in my opinion, about all of that. And uh, you immediately shared a, a quick story with me where uh, as soon as you closed on a property, you had a theft, right? So can you tell us about that? And uh, thank you in advance for being so open and sharing with us about this. Absolutely. I feel like more stories about setbacks need to be shared so that people who are interested in real estate get a full idea of what it involves. It's fantastic. I wouldn't trade it for anything, but um, to give them the full picture. So, <laughs> so we closed on a property and we started work the very next day. Uh, we didn't change the locks that day, which mm -hmm. was something we have started doing since then. Okay, good we tip. Started, yeah, started, yes, changed the locks right away. Started work the very next day, and I got there, and my contractor was like, uh, you have to see this. And apparently, uh, the boiler had been stolen. Oh, my goodness. And, <laughs> and, um, and along the with the thing. pipes and, yeah, oh my God. The, um, the boiler and the pipes and all that. So, so we, you know... The way we interacted, he's like, you're taking this really well. And I'm like, well, first of all, contingency. Mm -hmm. So that's why we have 15% contingency built into our construction budget so that anytime there is a setback, we have, you know, uh, something to fall back on. Yep. And second of all, this is a learning experience. We're going to change the locks the very day we close from mm -hmm. now on. 
and uh, no fingers were pointed we actually made lemonade out of the lemons that were given to us and decided that it was time to consider central air Mm. Um, we we took out a couple of nice to haves from the construction budget until we reached the end of the project and we were sure not no other uh, surprises were in store for us. So you didn't spend that contingency on day one. You actually, even though there was, this was something that you could have spent that contingency on and, and wasn't unplanned, um, you were still thinking ahead to the, what the next surprise might be around the corner. Right. So one of the things was there was a second bathroom uh, in uh, in the unit that um, we were going to renovate it and it was in working condition. So we decided to leave that until the very end to see if anything else came up. Mm-hmm. OK, great. Um, and then at the end, were there more surprises or you were able to take that out of contingency at the end? There was actually one more surprise um, and uh, we were glad to have there was a. Um, water coming into the basement that we thought would have been an easier fix and wasn't. Mm-hmm. So we had to spend a little more money on it. So glad we left that bathroom <laughs> till yeah. the very end. <laughs> well, that's that's good. Um, and, and what I really love about that story is is at any scale, you know, it's so easy to when, when something comes up or you decide you want to add something to the scope, you're like, oh, well, we've got contingency. We'll just take it out of contingency. But contingency is a real line item for a reason um, because these surprises do come up and the water work is is longer and, and more expensive than you expect it to be and things get stolen and so I like that you actually cut back your scope at the beginning rather than just say oh we've got it in the in the plan and we'll figure out we'll just sort of cross our fingers and, and operate the rest of this project without contingency um, you were proactive about it and uh, that's that's a really great lesson because um, if, if you don't do that you can really put yourself in jeopardy um, because obviously there there's always surprises when right, it comes to exactly. construction projects. Exactly, and and it's important to have that contingency until close to the end, unless you just simply cannot avoid it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so we jumped right in, and because uh, <laughs> I, I, I was so excited about that story, and and uh, sorry, but thank you for sharing it with us, because um, I, I love the lesson in there. Um, but let's let's take a step back. Can you talk to us a bit about uh, what you're doing now, what your portfolio is like, where you're doing business? Yeah, so we, uh, majority of our business is in Philadelphia. Uh, So I quit my job as a mechanical engineer about three years ago, uh, less than three years ago. And this portfolio, I've built it up after I quit my job and it's about four million. And this year our revenue will be about a million. Wow, that's amazing. And and it's been an amazing journey. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we also have the coaching side of our business where I teach women to get involved in real estate investing and learn how to build their for- their portfolio from start to finish. I love that mission as well. Um, so for, uh, so three years you said you went from from nothing working in working le- left your job and now three years later you have a four million dollar portfolio. Yeah so we I did uh, my husband and I w- would save up money mm-hmm. and just simply put it down as a down payment mm-hmm. and get a conventional mortgage. And we did have a few, three, three rentals mm-hmm. when I quit my job. Okay. But I really uh, made it like a full-time uh, gig and and focused on value-add investing with, you know, heavy construction after I quit my job. Love it. So you are, you have a $4 million portfolio now and um, 
that that's truly incredible. You, you know, starting with three, that, that's you know a very small start, and, and you did it, and you jumped in, and it seems like you've been full steam ahead, obviously ever since. Um, so, what do you think is separating you and your business from from the others, and how are you able to grow this portfolio so quickly? So the biggest thing was knowing why I was doing it. Okay. Um, when I when I quit my job it was primarily because i did not have any time with my kids okay and what i wanted to do is um you know i was my husband and i both were um very much into the fire movement the financial independence mm-hmm. retire early <laughs> movement yeah, yeah. so i wanted to build the business that would allow me to have um, passive income and then still build wealth at the same time. So the buy and hold strategy um, worked for us. So I use the birth strategy, which is value at investing and then mm-hmm. pulling the cash out once you refinance it. Um, and what's allowed me to grow quickly is to just be very focused. I, I'm doing it because I want time with my kids and I'm only interested in buy and holds. And that's all I focus on. So okay. instead of growing an inch in 12 directions, mm-hmm. I was able to grow 12 inches in one direction. Yeah, no, I think that's really key because especially right now, it's so easy to get distracted and, you know, oh, maybe this is a good wholesale or maybe I should flip this or get into apartments or whatever the next thing is. Right. Um, your strategy is buy and hold in Philadelphia, right? Right. Right. So the same, same area, you're not looking in markets outside, you're just... Rinse and repeat the same right, strategy exactly. and just pick up more Best and more properties. Best way to scale is to find a scalable model. No need to reinvent the wheel. Just find a scalable model and keep doing it. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about management. How are you managing all these properties? So the we keep all the property management in-house. And by that, I don't mean I physically do all the work myself. Um, I have someone who helps me with showings, open houses. I have a company uh, that's based overseas that helps me with bookkeeping and you know managing um, all the online aspect of the business. Um, I have vendors who help me fix things when they break. I have, in, I have a company that I hired that handles all the phone calls and uh, all of that good stuff. So it's not just me doing all the work physically, mm-hmm. uh, but we've kept it in-house. Um, and I have, I like to do it this way because I want to treat my tenants well and I want control over how they're being treated. Um, that I feel like I treat uh, property management as a hospitality business. Okay. And giving tenants excellent customer service means they take care of the property better and they stay longer and when they leave the turnaround time is less because uh, they leave the property in better condition and all of that affects the bottom line so it's a win-win yeah absolutely um can you give us some examples of of what you mean when you say you treat it like a hospitality business so with tenants we um we track maintenance requests and I want to make sure that anytime a request is put in it gets taken care of right away and sometimes we pay a premium for it to be taken care of right away and the tenants genuinely appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, we put in, um, even in neighborhoods where we don't usually see high-end finishes, we still put in granite countertops and stainless steel appliances and then tenants who are interested in it are okay to pay a little bit higher than market rent, uh, but those are the tenants that are that like to live in a space that is nice and mm-hmm. they they want to, you know, spend or put the extra effort into it to, to maintain that space as well. 
Okay, so you're really um, maybe not. I wouldn't necessarily use the word over improving, but you're you're making it um, maybe nicer than than you might have to be to skate by with market average rents. Right. But you're going after the market premium rents, um, which probably is a, a much smaller subset of the market, but also is a smaller subset of tenants that right. are if they're there, um, they're going to be they're going to want to treat that place better because right. they know that most other landlords and properties are not going to look and feel and they're not going to get the same service like they do with you. Right. And the immediate ROI is lower. It is not really a, a profitable model right away. But long term, when you look at it to, in two years, it's actually more profitable because these tenants always renew the lease. They they want to stay longer. And you, as you know, vacancy is a huge aspect yep. And, and turnarounds. That turnover is turn, you know, such an expense. Yeah. You know, are, if those tenants are angry on their way out the door and they start right. mucking up your, your uh, sheetrock and, and dropping stuff down the drains, then, you know, I've had all of that in my properties. <laughs> right. And uh, that gets really expensive. Right. And um, so so that I love that approach. It's a, a little bit different of, of a style, but I love that, you know, you're you're probably really, I, I agree, you, you are probably paying, getting that back within two years. Right. And it's um, a long-term strategy right. and it's more fulfilling because you're providing housing. So it's, it's, it's more fulfilling to me yeah. to, to provide really good quality housing. Talk to me about, um, that sense of fulfillment and like what you're looking for out of your business and, and how is it fulfilling, filling you that way? So in the real estate business, um, I try to balance social impact and profitability. It has always been important to us. Um, we do that by, um, giving priority to diversity in the partners that we work with, anywhere from contractor to photographer to cleaners. Um, we make sure, you know, we don't discriminate based on race, gender, uh, orientation, mm-hmm. any of those. Uh, we also make sure that everybody who works for us and their staff is paid well. Um, and then lastly, we will even uh, Section 8 housing. So, so Philadelphia has a has an affordable housing crisis where two thirds of the landlords don't accept Section 8 vouchers right mm-hmm. now. And we wanna be a part of the solution. So we've started accepting Section 8 vouchers. And the Section 8 proper, the Section 8 world, certain aspects of it can be, the landlords can be predatory. And we wanna make sure that we are not one of those. Mm-hmm. So we provide our tenants with excellent service and good, good quality. Uh, high-end finishes rentals so, so that's how we try to balance social impact and profitability so that's fulfilling and then the other aspect is um, through open spaces women trying to help other women uh, get into real estate investing mm-hmm. and and any support that they need to to get there uh, I love that um, and I know there's there's um, been a big push um, from from leaders like yourself and, and others that are here today at pod max to to really push that message out um, so Talk to me about we talk, we spoke briefly, you know, about managing contractors, you know, as being a, a common problem or, or challenge that people feel like they, they're facing. Um, so, can you just talk through, you know, how, how you might approach that conversation with with someone that you're coaching? Sure. So, one of the biggest things I see is uh, people are turned off by renovation because they think they don't know enough about construction and about renovation. And what I tell them is, you are an investor you are hiring an expert to do the construction piece. What you need to know is how to manage that person, how to hire the right person who is trustworthy and who will do a, a good job. And that's your job, is to find the right person and get the work done. Your job is not to understand 
the ins and outs of construction and be handy. So if construction is something that uh, you're fear fearful of, understand that you're not going to go there and actually pull out a toilet and replace mm-hmm. it. You have to hire the right person who knows how to do it and whose expertise that is. Right. So as the investor, your skill set is more on the uh, hiring, evaluating, you know, due diligence on the contractor, managing um, them, managing them, the whole aspect of it, right. um, paying on time, all right. of that, you know, less about, you know, you could get referrals. There's, there's ways that you can get around, you know, understanding if they're going to be doing quality work right. and you can even bring in inspectors on the back end to, to enforce that they've done that quality work, even if you can't spot it for yourself. Right. Um, but as the investor, you're right. It's about the, the processes and the systems and, and the business owner mindset rather than, you know, can I swing this hammer or pull out this toilet or, right. or anything? Exactly. Um, yeah, I really, really like that approach and, and that scales to, to any level. Um, even on some of our larger multis, you know, it's, it's all about managing the contractors and to a level that, you know, that they, they want to get paid on time. They've got, they've got needs that, that they want. Um, but if we can, can think, put ourselves in their, their shoes and understand what they're looking for, I can institute checks and balances against them and I can have people come in and walk those units with a set of criteria so that I know. And that allows me to actually do it long distance as well. Um, but yeah, if I walk that unit, I, I may not be able to tell you that, that whatever was installed properly, the furnace is, is set at the right Whatever. I don't even know. Right. I don't need to know. All right. I need to know that someone that knows what they're doing has inspected that work and checked it and that they approve it. Exactly. And I also tell people like with contractors, you get what you pay for. Right. So make sure you don't go out and hire the cheapest option out there because in the end it'll end up being the more expensive option. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like a lot of people that, that, you know, the experienced investors have have all learned that lesson the hard way. (laughs) You know, we've all tried and and tried to to do that with the the low cost option, which is the high cost option and the highly frustrating option and the stressful option and all of that. Um, So uh, this this group that you're putting together that you're coaching, um, what's the goal there? So the women in, so Open Spaces Portfolio Program has had one cohort this year. So there, mm. there were six women in the cohort. Uh, the goal was for them to learn um, value-add investing. So okay. some of them came from a place where they already had a ton of experience in flipping or wholesaling or being a realtor, but not in buy and holds and in renovating them, renting them out, and then being able to pull all the cash out and mm. understanding the finance that goes with it. And others came from not a lot of, real estate experience at all so depending on their goals um, they all actually have a property under contract at this point like the program actually ends next week the three months and they all have a three months so within three months they've all got a property under contract right so we one of the things i make sure when someone joins the program is are you ready to invest now Mm -hmm. do you have the basics necessary to, to be an investor mm-hmm. and then then it can happen in three months. Right, right, <laughs> right. Um, great. And I mean, that, that's amazing. I, I love that mission and, and uh, I think it's definitely needed. And so hopefully uh, you'll continue it and, and keep it growing. Yeah, that's the plan. Um, so what, what are the plans for the future? What are you working on? Um, so right now I'm thinking in the next 
two years, we would like to double our portfolio. And in the next two years, what I would like is also for my husband, who has taken one for the team and still maintains his full-time job, mm-hmm. uh, to be able to quit and uh, join the business full-time Excellent. in a couple of years. Okay. Yeah. And that he wants to do that too. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. We're both very passionate about real estate investing. So yeah. I love it. That's so great. Well, um, where can people find out mo- uh, more about you and about Open Spaces? Follow me on Instagram, Open Spaces Women. And um, they can also, we have a free training, uh, openspaceswomen.com forward slash webinar. Um, and the training, there's a little more information about me. And then the training has... Um, four uh, pillars of scaling a rental portfolio. Well, this has been a really amazing show. Um, I will put all of your social links on our website. If anyone wants to read uh, the bio, uh, get the links to the Instagram, social media, LinkedIn, whatever you have out there. That's all on the website, truemultifamily.show. Also, hopefully you'll join us on our Facebook page. If people have questions, just search True Multifamily on Facebook and we can talk about this episode and uh, any questions you guys might have. Uh, Really appreciate it. Please, if you like this show, uh, share it with someone, like it, um, thumbs it up, whatever whatever you got to do to to spread the good word about it. I definitely appreciate it. Uh, Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you guys next time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode. Check out our website at truemultifamily.show. And if you have an amazing story to tell, share it on our Facebook community and you might just be the next guest on the show. We're also on all other social networks. Just search True Multifamily. I'm really, really proud to have the show produced by our company, On Air Brands. Check us out at onairbrands.com. We also have an incredible, unique podcasting event that we would love for you to be a part of. Check that out at podmax.co.